This is the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Don't forget that you can listen to us across the Faith Radio Network for the entire hour, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Central or 10 a.m. Eastern. If you want your question read on the show or have any comments, send it to Jeremiah at askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show, combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Hey everybody, welcome to the program. This is Jeremiah Johnston, and I just want to say right at the outset that we have just come to the conclusion of Suicide Prevention Week, but September is actually Suicide Prevention Month. So it's something that we're very mindful of, not just in the month of September, but um, 52 weeks a year at Christian Thinker Society. I've said to you in the past that I believe that mental health in the church, mental wellness, mental conditions, suicide prevention, suicide awareness, I believe these are the most important apologetics questions in our church. And I think the nation was reminded of that again this week with, and I just have to tell you, I'm heartbroken by it. I'm stunned by it. Uh, The death by suicide of Pastor Jared Wilson out in Southern California. And I just hope that you're joining me in the body of Christ right now and praying for Jared's wife their two children, and for everyone in our churches who suffer um, feeling the sharp end of the stigma around mental health conditions in the Christian life. And I want to point to you to a few things right at the beginning of this program. I've written a very important op-ed over at Breakpoint Colson Center called A Light in the Darkness, How We Can All Help Prevent Suicides. I give you immediate steps, intervention steps, coping mechanisms. Definitely check that out. Secondly, please practice the ministry of presence with anyone and everyone you may know who might be affected by this issue. And listen, it affects us all. No one is unaffected by mental challenges. It might not be you personally, but definitely I'm sure someone in your family, a neighbor, a friend, somebody that you care about. And so uh, I want to remind you of a very important lesson that I teach regularly. And friends, I just taught about this last Sunday. I spoke at a dynamic church in Katy, Texas called Grace Fellowship, and they had actually asked me to speak on the subject, is suicide the unforgivable sin? And what was so cool about this church, they were so prepared because we had an amazing response in all the services during the response time. And then after, I actually stayed for several hours after um, praying with people, the church actually had licensed counselors in between services available, of course, free of charge. So licensed counselors available in between services and right after the service. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's how the church needs to address this issue and approach it. There's always an open door. There's always a conversation. There is hope, friends. And then there's another immediate step, and I'll talk more about this when we close, but definitely save this number in your phone. I encouraged everyone who was listening to me last Sunday to take out their phones and save the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in their mobile numbers. It's one 800 273 talk. That's 1-800-273-8255. 
And that's not just for you if you're struggling with some kind of suicidal thoughts. You can actually call that number if you know someone who's struggling and say, hey, give me some tips, best practices, things I can do right now with somebody I know who's struggling with suicide. So friends, definitely check out our resources at christianthinkers.com. This is a subject that's not going away. We all need to be conversant to have intelligent conversations, compassionate conversations around this most important issue. Now, friends, we've got to jump to a break, but when we come back, I've got my good friend waiting on hold, Pastor Derwin Gray, former NFL player, and now um, making a massive impact with Transformers Church and the amazing church that he founded. I can't wait for this conversation. I've been waiting for it. Get dialed in, get ready, get prayed up. Stay with us right after this break. I'm coming back to you with a very important discussion with our guest on this program, Pastor Derwin Gray. Friends, welcome to the program, and I have joining us today somebody that I've been so excited to have on the program for quite a while because I've been touched by his ministry. He is a pastor theologian. He's a former NFL football player. He's an excellent church planner, a great author, and just an all-around energetic guy. I love following energetic people who are enthused about what God's doing in the world. Uh, Dr. Derwin Gray, thank you so much for joining us today on the program. Hey, thanks for having me, man, with a, with a uh, uh, you know, coming on the show like that, man, I, I my energy has increased because uh, <laughs> at 48, my energy isn't quite what it used to be at 28. So, man, I received that. Amen. <laughs> thanks Amen. for having well, me. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be with you. Well, thank you. And friends, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk the entire hour of Dr. Gray today. We're going to be discussing discipleship in an age of political upheaval. Uh, But before we get to that, um, one thing that I love about this program, and I've got to give a little uh, head nod to Guy Raz over at NPR. I love his program, How I Built This. And I have fashioned at least one of our segments and many of our programs to just simply celebrate Dr. Gray in the spirit of Acts 14.27, that talks about the fact that the church came together to discuss all that God was doing among them to reach the Gentiles, and we, they celebrated that. I think so often in the church, we're so on to the next mountain, we don't take time to celebrate what God's doing among us. And it's something that I've tried to do in this program is celebrate what God is doing through individuals around the world. We have so much to be optimistic about. Certainly, there are things that concern us, but there's so much that God is on the move. And I want to talk a minute, if we can, for our audience, because, wow, I mean, you've played in the NFL, you studied under Scott McKnight uh, for your doctorate, and friends, if anyone knows anything about New Testament scholarship, he's a heavyweight, a titan, he's a bib stud, as I call him, Um, but you're also a church planter, you and your wife um, broke out into ministry, there's so many things that I believe our audience would find encouragement, and can you just back us up in your story, Dr. Gray? Can you give us um, a, a snapshot of how do you go from the NFL to Christian? I mean, were you born, were you raised in the church? I know you played at BYU. Can you just give us some of your testimony, please? Yeah, yeah. Before I do that, uh, I also want to add that uh, I had the privilege and honor uh, in my master's of uh, being under uh, the late, great Dr. Norman Geisler. Wow. And so, yes. so the Lord has, the Lord has blessed me with probably the, mm. uh, the greatest, uh, uh, was living apologist of the last 50 years. And then also to serve yes. under Scott McKnight. But, uh, so I didn't want to, 
not give him his props. But kind of my and for the uh, benefit story, of our audience, Dr. Gray, um, Norm Geisler just went to heaven not too long ago. So thank you did. for mentioning that. He did. He did. Um, so um, I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and kind of I was the I was a poster child of growing up in a at risk uh, poverty type environment. Um, and my mom was 16 when she was pregnant with, with me. Uh, she mm-hmm. had me at seven, at 17. My dad was barely 19. Both of them had various struggles. And so my grandmother primarily raised me. Uh, but when you go up in that environment, like you don't know that there's anything else. And so mm-hmm. my, my radius of life was like three square miles. And so when you're poor, you don't even know you're poor. And let me just make this, this, this comment to be poor is not a sin to be poor is not a character blight. I often mm. say when young, when young people come to me and say, you know, we, we really need to go to the inner city to help those people. And I go, yes, we do. But we also need to go to wall street because last sure. time I checked, it wasn't poor people in the hood that caused the subprime lending fiasco okay. where, uh, Basically, the government took our money to pay off banks who caused the problem. They mm. got bailed out. I don't know about you, but there's millions of Americans that sure could use a bailout. But That's yet. right. Um, so, so my point is poverty is not an indication of one's character. If so, then Jesus' character would have been bad because he was poor, and we know it wasn't. Um, so at about age 13, I decided that the way out of this environment for me was football. And uh, football, in essence, became my God. Uh, It gave me what I thought was love. It gave me significance. It gave me identity, and it gave me purpose. And so eventually I got good enough to get a football scholarship. And so at this point, didn't own a real Bible, uh, wasn't pursuing God, didn't know what the gospel was. I took a football scholarship to Brigham Young, and obviously – BYU, Brigham Young is a Mormon school, but at that point in my life, I knew BYU would give me a great education. Mm-hmm. I knew it would give me an opportunity to play, and Coach Edwards at that time was a living legend. And so I went primarily for the football and educational benefits. I met Certainly. my wife my freshman year, second semester, and she um, was a non-believer from Montana. And so is for that both right? of us, yeah, so so she was <laughs> wow. on – she was on the track team, and both of us were just kind of just happy pagans. I mean, life was working out pretty well. My football career was blossoming. Her track career was blossoming. She was a valedictorian, not only in high school but college. So, wow. so things were going good for us. The God that we were serving, quote-unquote, was going good for us. And then when I did get to the NFL, that first year was just miserable. I wasn't playing. I didn't connect with the teammates. I went from being a superstar to being unknown. Uh, But then over the next three years, my career got better. I started to play more. I was a team captain. But but by my – but by my third year in the NFL, you know, I'm I'm having this existential crisis. I'm saying, is this it? So I've worked my whole life for this. You know, the Mm -hmm. money that I got didn't fix my family problems. Uh, despite the nice clothes I would wear externally, I still knew morally there were things that I had done wrong. I didn't know I needed forgiveness. I just wanted to fix what I had done wrong. And the more I tried to fix it, actually the worse the shame and the guilt got. And so I also struggled with uh, 
well, one day football is going to end, and mm. what am I going to do? Because all I can do is play this game. So it was like I was held hostage to playing this game because I didn't think I could do anything else. I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. And uh, so that's kind of where I was. But in God's providence and in his beauty, um, I had a teammate. His name was Steve Grant, but his nickname was the Naked Preacher. He was a line. Yeah, he was. He was uh, a That's linebacker, a six. Yeah, six two two forty, and every day after practice, he would take a shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist, and share Jesus with uh, my teammates. And wow. I thought it was just—I I just thought it was the weirdest thing. So I asked the veterans on the team, <laughs> that is weird. "What's up?" What's up with the half-naked black man walking around talking about, do you know Jesus? And they said, don't pay no attention to him. That's the naked preacher. And so thus, that's how he got his nickname. And so one day, my rookie year, I'm at my locker by myself, and I see him coming towards me. And I'm like, oh, no, here comes this religious nut. And so he he taps me on the back, and he says, "Uh, rookie D-grade, do you know Jesus? And that began a a five-year relationship that continues to to this day. Wow. Um, and so there were several factors that led me to Christ. Um, the things I mentioned, but also my body began to break down as a player. And when your body breaks down as a player, the NFL is a ruthless God. You can no mm. longer serve it. The NFL doesn't work by grace. It works by performance. Yeah. And so uh, during this time, my wife had come to faith through a woman at her job. And on August 2nd, 1997, in a small dorm room, it was my fifth year in the NFL. We were in training camp at Anderson, Indiana, Anderson College. Mm -hmm. After lunch, I was walking to my dorm room, and it was just this huge void in my soul. And I got to the dorm room, and I, I called my wife on the phone which, by the way, the phone was connected to the wall. It was old school. (laughs) And uh, I said to her, I said, I want to be more committed to you, and I want to be committed to Jesus. And I I literally cried for a couple days straight. Wow. That I I was overwhelmed with the love of God. I was overwhelmed with the sacrifice of Christ. I was overwhelmed with the idea that through his resurrection, I now participate in his life. Mm. And so I continued to play with the Colts my fifth year, sixth year. Um, I signed as a free agent with the Carolina Panthers. I play in three games. I hurt my knee and I can't play the rest of the year. So I'm on what's called injured reserve. So basically what I did the whole year was rehab my knee and read the Bible. And the more I read the Bible, my teammates started coming to me for you know, answers about faith. And wow. so um, going into my seventh year, I just, my wife and I said, we're done. We're retired from the NFL. No one could understand it or explain it. They said, well, what are you going to do? We said, we don't know. All we know is Jesus loves us and we want people to know him. I got a speaking engagement in Columbia, South Carolina, the youth. And I argued with God saying, God, I'm a compulsive stutterer. I'll send money. I'll send prayer support, but please don't send me. Um, I can't talk. And I didn't hear a voice, but I just sensed God saying, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise your tongue to talk. Mm. And so for me, um, that's what happened. I went and spoke and I had note cards falling out my pocket and told them basically what I just told you. And a Mm. bunch of kids uh, said, yeah, we want Jesus to forgive our sins and we want to follow him. 
And from that day forward, I started getting tons of phone calls to go speak. And so my wife is the organizer of the group, and so she would organize them. And then I'd go speak, and before you knew it, we had a parachurch ministry. But then about four years into speaking, something hit us, and it hit us really hard. I couldn't understand why when my wife and I were not Christians and we would go to the nightclub and party, that the clubs were diverse. But Jesus's club called the church was the most segregated institution Mm. in America. Mm. And so as I began to read the Bible, I would see these things about this word Gentiles. I'm like, what is a Gentile? Well, as I began to study, I found out that Gentiles was everybody else in the world and Jews were Jews. And that the early Christian churches shocked the Roman world because Enemies became family. Foes became friends because of Jesus of Nazareth, that through the blood of Jesus, grace actually created a new race. Grace, you can't spell grace without race. Grace creates a new race, and this new race of people were the church. And in these churches was unity and community of Jewish people and Gentiles. Like, it would be equivalent to... Jesus bringing to faith a member of the KKK and Black Panthers Mm. and then becoming brothers and sisters. And so as I studied more, I began to ask pastors, like, why is your church segregated? And none of the answers were biblical, not even close. As a matter of fact, uh, my Caucasian uh, brothers and sisters didn't really want to talk about it. And Mm. then for for African-Americans, it was like, well, we can't trust these people. They, they'll, they'll never follow us. Like even for our church now, Transformation Church, to be 55% white and me as a black lead pastor is a unicorn. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is wow. an anomaly. And, and, and so what we're doing at Transformation Church as a gospel-centered multi-ethnic church is actually revisiting what the early church did. And so one of the ways that the early church was able to transform the brutal Roman Empire was through its ethnic diversity because proximity leads to intimacy. Intimacy is into me, you see. And when we see Christ in each other through the diverse lenses, something beautiful happens. And so that's how uh, we planted Transformation Church. We were frustrated with the segregation in the church. And God said, don't criticize, create. If it's Amen. the V, then you do it. And Amen. so that's what, that, that's what, that's how we got to leading Transformation Church. And God has been gracious to us. Friends, we've got to step away for a 90-second break. Our guest today is Dr. Derwin Gray. He's pastor, theologian, author, a phenomenal author, and we're going to keep digging deep. You're listening to The Jeremiah Johnson Show on Faith Radio Network. We're going to be right back, right around the corner with Dr. Derwin Gray. Don't, don't go away. Friends, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Dr. Derwin Gray. And friends, we are having a fantastic discussion. If you've missed the first segment, you're going to definitely want to check this out on the podcast later. And on that note, while you're checking out this podcast, I do want you to subscribe to Dr. Gray's brand new show. It's called Marinate on That. I just love it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and mm-hmm. I've already listened to the first program. It's fabulous. Uh, Dr. Gray is an intellectual, uh, but he's also so practical and rich applications. So definitely want you to check out Marinate on that, where Derwin Gray will discuss theology, discipleship, leadership, marriage, and multi-ethnic church planting. Um, Dr. Gray, and by the way, connect with him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's at Derwin L. Gray. That's at Derwin L. Gray. And if you're in the Charlotte area, definitely check out the awesome church that he leads that he that he planted called Transformation Church. We were you were just having a fantastic thought uh several uh but you said don't criticize the, it create it. And you you yeah. launched this church with your wife Vicky. Um d- 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 dive into that if you would. I mean cuz there wasn't a church conference you could go to, right Dr. Gray, that would tell you how to bridge this gap. I mean who did you look to? I mean, was there even another example? I mean, how did you do it? Yeah, yeah. You know, so first, first, I think that desperation produces innovation. And as I read and studied the scriptures, I seen that God is faithful. And he told a man by the name of Abram, whom he changed his name to Abraham, through you, all of the nations will be blessed. And if you run over to Galatians 3.8, the Apostle Paul says this, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham and that all the nations would be blessed. So often as American Christians, we think very individualistic because we're children of the Enlightenment. I think, therefore, I am. Pre-Enlightenment was I am because of the great I am. And so what we've done is we have... Uh, made the church very individualistic. Jesus has saved me when it's always been about God wants a family. And he promised Abraham in Genesis 12, because in Genesis 11, his family scattered in Genesis 12. He's like, you scattered, but I'm going to gather you back. And so when we run over to Acts chapter two, we see that when Peter preaches, we see that there are diaspora Jews and Gentiles from all over the Greco-Roman world, and that's how the church is birthed, because Jesus, through his life, his death, and resurrection, not only forgives sins, but he creates a new family, and it's a family that God promised Abraham. And so once this theological conviction was rooted in my soul, um, there was no backing down. Uh, Mm. One of the blessings of having played NFL football is, um, you know, you go out there to play the game. I'm not, I'm not going to acquiesce. I'm not running away. Um, if this is what is true, then I have to follow this, even yes. though it's hard. And my wife and I were told, you know, it's too hard to plant a multi-ethnic church. And we said, too hard for God? That's wait, right. wait, wait. <laughs> you mean the one who spoke and all came into being? The one who walked on water, the one who conquered the sin, death, and the grave, this Jesus, it's too hard for him? Maybe it's not too hard for him. Maybe we don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so and so we studied the scriptures. Dr. Ken Hutcherson, who, by the way, uh, the late Ken Hutcherson, he was a former NFL football player, and he planted a church called Antioch Bible Church yes. in Seattle. And so he was a huge influence. I spoke at his men's retreat, and I seen Asian, Latino, black, Mm. white, rich, poor. It was beautiful. Uh, He and his team blessed me and prayed over me. 
uh, Mark DeMoss uh, is a multi-ethnic church pioneer. He was very influential, um, but a lot of it was out of desperation comes this incredible innovation. And so we planted Transformation Church nine years ago, and since then, wow. we've grown We've grown to That's over 4,000 people. We've helped plant probably 20 other churches. Um, but not only have we grown in our diversity, but those diverse people are able to go into the world as ambassadors of the gospel and be able to influence their spheres of influence. And so, but also just the way we care for our community. Um, we believe the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. Uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, yes. you clothed yes. me. When I was in prison, you visited me. So we have uh, like five prison ministries. We've adopted, oh gosh, probably seven schools. Like we, this year in 2018, wow. 2019, we have made nearly 20 or 200,000 meals for hungry people <laughs> in our community. And so um, we just want to join Jesus and what he is doing and has done. Um, so, but my point is, uh, we have a theological conviction. Yes. We have an ecclesiological conviction that is supported and saturated by the gospel. And we also believe this, that as the church goes, so goes our culture. Um, Sadly, in my research, in my doctoral work, the two most divided ethnic groups in America is white Christians and black Christians. Wow. Not, not, not pagans, but Christians. That black and white Christians are the most divided, yet we read the same book. Mm. So, so, so let me give you an example. In seminary, and you probably experienced this, you've heard the terms, well, that's black theology, right? Yes, absolutely have, many times. But how many times have you heard that's white theology? None. None. Yeah. There is a presupposition that Eurocentric interpretation of the scripture is the right theology, and all other right. theology is kind of a, well, this is your niche. Whereas if we take a step back, let's never forget um, the gospel was rooted in the Middle East. And all, right. all, of, all of the early church fathers were Northern African. That's right. Well, they and call it, yeah, somehow, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, Athanasius, uh, you and I believe in the triunity of God because of his defense. Uh, Athanasius was called the, the black, black dwarf. dwarf. Yep. Yeah, he was racism even goes back then. He was he was called the black dwarf because obviously he was a black African. Mm. And so what happens in a multi-ethnic church context is your discipleship increases because you get to stand in the shoes of another. You get to hear yes. and see through the eyes of another. And when you read Paul's letters, every single letter is for this purpose. How do Jews and Gentiles become the people of God displaying the glory of God in their unity? And somehow we have lost that. And what I'm proposing is that the gospel is more, not only do I get 
forgiveness of sins and justification and reconciliation and propitiation and the sealing and filling of the Spirit, but I get a new family to grow with. And John 17 says, uh, uh, John 17, 20 and 21, I pray for not only these, but those who will believe my word through you, that just you, as you and I are one, they may be one so that the world will know that you sent me. Our unity, not uniformity, our unity is a signpost that Jesus was sent by the Father. And I don't think we as the church talk about that. No. Even imagine that. And since we're having such a good conversation, let me throw this in. We have allowed uh, cable news to disciple us. Yes. We have allowed the elephant and the donkey to disciple us. Like we can't even think in terms as the body of Christ biblically without putting in political categories. Mm-hmm. Like I can't tell you how, how many times I've heard, well, that's, that's communist. To have a multi-ethnic church is communist? Well, Unbelievable. Paul, Paul must have been a communist. Jesus must have been a communist because he said uh, his father's house, the temple, was for all people. As a matter of fact, he turned over tables. As as a result of it in the temple, and and so what I'm proposing is that we have to become more Christian. We have to become more Christian. We have to be rooted and saturated in who the person of Jesus was. We have to view the world through Him. A world view is not fighting cultural wars, but loving our enemies. That's right. Like I. Like, I'm not even sure, Christians, that we read Matthew 5, 44 and 45 that says, Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. By this, you will show that you are children of my Father. Uh, Doctor, here's a question. When have we as as Christians became okay with our political leaders Telling it like it is. You hit me, I hit back. You know, you get petty with me, I get petty with you. We wouldn't even have our own children do that, yet we as Christians are supporting that and applauding Great. that. When, when, when Jesus himself says, no, no, when you get persecuted by your enemy, Turn the other bless them, mm-hmm. love them. So I would say that our faith is being co-opted by politics on the right and politics on the left. I often say I'm not an elephant or a donkey. I'm the party of the lamb because Jesus is the lamb of God. And the party of the lamb uh, has a prophetic voice to each party, but recognizing that the apostle Paul never went, man, if we could just get someone in the Supreme court, gosh, God's glory will really come then. Mm -hmm. No, it, it, it was God's people adopting Roman prostitutes' babies when they were thrown outside. It was God's people going into villages that were ravaged by disease and them dying with them and healing some people. It was God's people bringing ethnic unity when the Roman world was filled with ethnic strife. It was God's people loving one another that made Constantine say, man, you know what, we need to co-opt this Jesus thing and put it in our political power because it's becoming too powerful. Okay, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it. Whenever the church gets in bed with politics to the left or to the right, 
we get spiritual STDs and lose our power. Mm, that's good. That's good. Mm. And that's a historical fact, friends. I mean, that's if you study church history, in exactly what Dr. Gray points out, when the church is essentially prostituted for political means, it's the church that is hurt. It's the church that is used. Um, wow. Aren't you loving this conversation with Dr. Derwin Gray? I got a feeling a book's coming out of some of what we're hearing today. Uh, we've got to take a quick break. We're going to be right back uh, for more conversation right here on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. We're talking with Dr. Derwin Gray. Stay with us. <music> Friends, we're back. Uh, this is Jeremiah Johnson. I'm talking with Dr. Derwin Gray. You're listening uh, on Faith Radio Network. And thanks to all those of you who are joining us on the podcast. Dr. Gray is dropping all kinds of wisdom all over this show. So if you're just joining us, connect with him on his website, Derwin L. Gray, on social media. And check out his wonderful church, Transformation Church. Check out his Amazon author page. Uh, I first uh, read The first book I read of Dr. Gray's was The HD Leader. I hope we can touch on that on this segment if we have time. Uh, if not, I've got a feeling Dr. Gray is going to be right back here on the show in the future, Lord willing. Um, Dr. Gray, I live, I'm talking to you right now from my studio in Houston, Texas. I live in Fort Bend County, which is the most ethnically diverse county in America. I didn't know if you knew that. Yep. Fort Bend County. I did know that. The, and I know you're a Texan. So everything you're saying is, is Audrey in my heart. I mean, we love this. I mean, you can't walk down my street without running into multicultural, multi-ethnic evangelism and discipleship. I mean, it's just not going to happen in my daughter's school, everything. So, I mean, we've, but that was new for us that we did not grow up in a community like this. We grew up in a community yeah. where, you know, the, the girl that I went to school with, the only African-American girl I went to school with was Joe Carter's daughter who hit the game-winning home run for the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, I mean, literally, that's what it was. And it was predominantly white. And my seminary did not really train me how to do multicultural, multi-ethnic discipleship. Why don't we get more training about this at the seminary level? I mean, that's, and I'm not trying to yeah, choose and no, pick on anyone, but I mean, I, I did no. not feel equipped. I had to kind of learn learn and fail by experience and men like you challenging me. Yeah. And my story is the same as well, is that the, the more quote unquote conservative, a theological institution tends to be, the more it, it, it lacks uh, socio um, understanding and expertise, you know, uh, I would probably say, how many non-white professors did you have? Yeah, very few. Less than five. Yeah, and so sadly, even our seminaries are devoid of a Pauline understanding. You know, we would talk about in my master's about Gentiles and Jews, but never from the context of the uh, ethnic strife and never from the context of God's covenant with Abraham. And, and, And so... You have ill-equipped people on this subject matter equipping other ill-equipped people. And what I'm mm-hmm. saying is this isn't, this isn't tertiary. Uh, a, a Western individualistic understanding of the gospel works this, this way. Jesus died for your sins. You believe in him, you will be saved. He rose from the dead. What I want to get back to is this. There's a good, good father who wants his family back. And through Mm. the people of Israel, it points to a savior. And this savior 
is the new Passover lamb. He's the new day of atonement. And through faith in him, we are a people of the new exodus. Man, we are, once again, righteous, justified, sealed, filled with the spirit, all those beautiful things. But it's more beautiful. It's a bigger and greater story. Um, It's amazing that in America, we had two great, quote unquote, revivals. And the institution and evil, dark power aspects of slavery outlasted the revivals. Uh, Interesting. George, George Whitfield, um, he actually, to build his orphanage in Georgia, went to the Georgia Supreme Court to say that slavery was okay and that God wow. was okay with slavery. Mm. So... That's the lineage and the vestiges. And what I want to say to my Caucasian brothers and sisters, if if you don't talk about these things, you're doomed to stay stuck in the ignorance of those things. That's right. If we don't if we don't know our past, our past will be our present. And so there's there's an aspect of even in the church. Oh, Derwin, like I can't tell you, uh, Doctor, how many times people have said. Derwin, why do you talk about race so much? And I say, because the Bible does. Yep. They go, well, just, well, don't, don't talk about race. And so I, I go, okay, so is Jesus, I, I can't talk about Christ because he's Jewish. I can't talk about the Samaritan woman. I can't talk about Cornelius, the Italian. I, I can't talk about the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Egyptians. As a matter of fact, now that you said I can't talk about race in the Bible, I can't talk about anything. That's right. Like who did who did God come to save? Human beings. And as human beings, we have shown that we have a propensity to maim and hurt and kill based on culture and right. colors of skin and superiority. And Jesus comes and he says, I want to create a new humanity that displays the kingdom of God. And in this kingdom, there's neither Jew nor Greek. That doesn't mean Jews stop being Jews, Gentiles stop being Gentiles. It means we don't become colorblind, we become color blessed. Mm. And we affirm our differences. He says there's, there's, there's neither free nor slave. This is speaking of economics, that, that the CEO and the garbage man get treated the same way. And then he says there's neither male nor female. Women are equal with men, different roles, but equal. And in the ancient world, women uh, were treated as cattle. And what's interesting, when Paul wrote those words in A.D. 49, there was a Jewish prayer that some observant Jews even pray to to this day that says, Yahweh, thank you that I am not a Gentile. Thank you that I'm not a slave. And thank you that I'm not a woman. And also... Uh, I think it was it was either Socrates, I, I believe so, who had a prayer to his pantheon of gods who said, thank you that I'm not a barbarian. Thank you I'm not a slave. Thank you that I'm not a woman. And in the midst of that, the glorious gospel says there's neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female, because we have oneness in Christ, that in our unity, the beauty of our uniformity displays to the world, this is what humanity is to look like. And so... Where I'm at now is churches in America are burgeoning and growing. Like the bigger churches 
are growing. Our church is growing. But what good is our church growing if America is becoming more and more divided and the Mm. most divided people in America are black and white Christians? Now, this is a discipleship issue. Yes. Like, if you just take a cursory glance, you know, Colossians 3, Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles, and and, and he says, uh, beloved, like those who've been chosen by God, and he talks about loving each other, forgiving each other, and patience with each other, and those types of things. We don't do that. We think discipleship is, okay, I got my little Bible, I got my little quiet time, I did my little Bible study. All those things are important, but the true measure of our discipleship is how we interact with other human beings. Yes, yes. thank you. Namely, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hmm. So good. Friends, we're talking with Dr. Derwin Gray, and I want you to connect with his podcast because these are the kind of conversations he's having regularly now. Um, Marinate on that is the podcast. Uh, Dr. Gray, I love everything you're saying. We could literally speak for hours. We only have minutes, unfortunately. Um, I wrote a book called Unimaginable, What Our World Would Be Like Without Christianity, and I traced, there's 38 pages of single-space notes in the back, and I traced um, what made Christianity irresistible to the Roman Empire. And what I love is everything I'm hearing from you is what made Christianity irresistible then. And I want to end on Mm. a note of hope. If we can do it again, that great prayer of a revivalist, do it again, Lord, do it again. If we can do ministry that way again, I think there's a lot of hope. And I think we can make the gospel irresistible again. And it's exactly what you were saying. Christianity crashed through the caste systems of the day, crashed through the political systems of the day. The gospel absorbed and transcended all of those things. There was a message for everyone and everyone was invited to the table. And I love what you're doing. And I just want to affirm you on this broadcast. I would love to affirm what God's doing because... As much as I love church growth conferences, and we need them, as much as I love all the church uh, planning conferences and packages that you buy, and we need them, what I'm hearing from you is this biblical centrism, a theological understanding of why you do church. And so what I want the church planters to hear from this program, I hope one of the payoffs from this message today from Dr. Gray is develop that theological underpinning of why you do what you do. Don't talk to me about this method or that method. Those methods are all great and important, but what what is the theological underpinning of why you do what you do? And he also said something that I think is heavyweight. And friends, I want to just appreciate this for a moment. He did a doctorate, so he's not up here on a radio show just making assertions. He had to defend this with an examiner that the most divided individuals in America are black and white Christians, and he published that as an original contribution knowledge. Uh, Dr. Gray, any final thoughts on that of how we can learn more about that for the leaders who are yeah. listening and, and what we can do about it? Not just we have this terrible problem, but do you, have you written about yeah. this or are you right now yes. in different ways? Yeah. yeah, I have written a book called The High Definition Leader, Building Multi-Ethnic Churches in a Multi-Ethnic World. And you can pick that up anywhere. I give theology and the best practices. Also, at Transformation Church, we do a biannual uh, roundtable called the HD Leader, where you come in, you learn the theology, the practices of a multi-ethnic church, but you also interact with our staff. And so that's our contribution to be able to um, to help and to equip. And let me just add, add this right here, and I want this to be hopeful. Uh, planting homogeneous churches actually contributes 
to the problem. Mm. Because in a homogeneous church, you are trapped in an echo chamber of ignorance. You're Mm. trapped in stereotypes. Also, from an economic perspective, if a bunch of wealthy people are together and people who are not wealthy are to get together, when do their paths cross? When do they talk? When do they cross-pollinate? And even when you talked about growing up the way you grew up, most Christians don't understand that cities were designed with what's called redlining. Redlining meant we're going to draw a red line where minorities cannot pass. The loans will be too high. They won't be able to get loans. And so a lot of times there's a white side of town, a black side of town, a Hispanic or Asian side of town because city planners planned it that way. Hmm. So let me conclude with, with, with this. God wants to do a new thing, which is actually an ancient thing. And that ancient thing is to love each other across our ethnic class, male and female barriers to create his new community on earth. And it's all through grace. All that we ever hope to be is found in Jesus. All that we ever hope to accomplish is found in Jesus. We need more Jesus. We need more of him. And through his indwelling life, by the Spirit's power, we can build these type of local churches that the unbelieving world says, what kind of people are these? And we say we're Jesus kind of people. So I would love for for your audience to get my book, The High Definition Leader, Building Multi-Ethnic Churches in a Multi-Ethnic World. Friends, he's Derwin Gray. He's a pastor theologian. He's a great dad, excellent pastor. And gosh, we're out of time. And Dr. Gray, I ask all of my guests what their unanswered question is. It's a hallmark of the show, but we're totally out of time today. We didn't discuss that. We didn't discuss the evangelism linebacker. <laughs> so we've got we've to have you back. So will you come back and visit us real soon? This has been a dynamic I, conversation. It's gone way too fast. Will you promise to come back? I will. Absolutely. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us, friends. I'm going to be right back with some of your concluding questions that you said to me on AskJJJ.com. Back in a moment. Wow, what a fantastic conversation with Pastor Derwin Gray. And this is one that I want to encourage you to share uh, in your network, on social media. And let me just encourage you why you need to do that. So many people are out there, and this is another important conversation. Don't you love um, that this program talks about things that you don't really hear referenced a lot, but they're very relevant to your faith today? I mean, these issues that Pastor Derwin is bringing up about race and the church, these are things that I believe in completely. Uh, We need to have this conversation. We need to embrace this conversation, the tension of it, and we need to have it, and then we need to lead out in this very important space. Space. And friends, I just want to remind you, Jesus Christ was from the Middle East. Um, he didn't look probably like you looked if you're listening to this program, unless you're from the Middle East. Um, and he's our Savior. And friends, I want to encourage you to have the heart of Jesus around this issue. And I just love Pastor Derwin's approach to it. It's a fresh approach. Uh, so definitely share this program. I also want to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. I'm so delighted by the thousands of people that subscribe to this show, The Jeremiah Johnston Show, on Google Play on iTunes podcast. You can listen to all of our archived programs 
from the past going to the Jeremiah Johnston website. I don't talk enough about it on this program, and I probably should. Just simply go to the Jeremiah Johnston Show website right there at Faith Radio Network, and you're going to see cataloged all of the different programs. You're going to see the most requested. You're going to see the blogs that go with each and every program that we produce here. These are resources for you. They're free of charge. We want you to use them. So share them on your social media. Email them to your friends. We have quite a catalog of conversations that we've had. Everything from atheism to socialism, communism. Um, We talk about mental health challenges in the church, suicide prevention, awareness steps, intervention steps, coping mechanisms. We've talked about spiritual warfare. That's another very important question. So these resources are all available to you. So go to the Jeremiah Johnston radio website over at Faith Radio Network. And also check us out at ChristianThinkers.com. I'm actually speaking in Miami this weekend, six different times in a church that has 80 nations in the church. So pray for me as I minister at Oasis Church. And you can definitely sign up for my email list at ChristianThinkers.com. I write my own emails. Sometimes I send three emails a week, and sometimes I don't send an email for a month. So it just depends uh, when I have time to write it to give you updates. But I also want to encourage you to connect with us on social media because right there on Instagram, I'm constantly putting out stories about the impact of Christian Thinker Society and how you can participate in the content and the growth of the ministry. Um, like our Facebook page. These are all, all important things that we do to resource and equip the church, and that means you. So definitely connect with us. Pray for this broadcast. I'm so excited about not only the fact that we are starting year two, but I'm so excited about all the conversations we have teed up for the future. So we're going to keep digging into your questions. Keep connecting with me at askjjj.com with your question. We get all kinds of interesting questions. Fantastic conversations to come right here on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. It's awesome to have you with us on this program. I love connecting with you right here. I'll see you next week. Stay with us. Thank you for listening to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. If you have any follow-up questions from today's program, we'd love to hear from you. You can submit your questions at askjjj.com. From there, you can also connect with us across social media. All our conversations are available because of listener support. To find out more information, head over to myfaithradio.com. And so you never miss a show, you can subscribe to our podcast free in iTunes, the Google Play Store, or even our RSS feed. Thank you for sharing our show with a friend and growing the impact of our ministry.